This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here in the old city of Jerusalem at Asha Torah overlooking the Temple Mount. Life's created amazing. Like you actually have an amazing life. You do, I do, the person sitting next to you does. Everyone has an amazing, amazing life. And what's, what makes it extra easy to have such an amazing life is that it's always happening now. Your life's always happening now. Meaning any life you think you have or could have had, any other life is, whether it's past or future, is theoretical. Your life's here right now. And, and I mean, it looks like all of you more or less have your limbs intact. You all look more or less normal. So... Mazel tov, you have an amazing life. You all have, right now, an amazing life. I mean, is there something wrong right now? <coughs> Anyone have anything wrong right now? You got something wrong, George? Yes. What's wrong? Everything is wrong. Yeah, what's wrong right now? Right now. Right now. I'm poor. I don't know. You're poor right now? Is anything for sale in this room? <laughs> There's no problem right now with being poor. Right now. And what else is wrong, George? I don't know. You're sick. Yeah. Okay, but you're but you're as sick as you are sick, right? Right. Could you be sicker? Of course. Yeah. Could you be healthier? Yeah, yeah. Are you healthier right now? No. And are you sicker right now? I wish I could drink milk. What? This is getting weird, George. <laughs> Like I said, most of you look more or less normal. Oh, you're lactose intolerant. Your stomach's decided to go on strike for, for dairy. So sorry. That's really sad. Not being able to have milk is... Uh, not being able to have dairy is like, like a punishment worse than death, perhaps. But don't jump over it. But it is rough. It's very rough. Yeah. Um, my suggestion, George, to help your digestion go back to milk is uh, get really in touch with what, what exactly is the connection between your digestion and your emotions. And it actually started when I came to Israel, though I can't have the Israeli or Palestinian milk, even a little bit. Yeah, I understand. I understand. So something was triggered here about you. And as soon as you work that out, and it might be the fact that you don't belong here. Right. No offense. Right. In my opinion, you belong. I invited you to my house for Shabbos even. But you don't feel you belong. And when you feel that kind of rejection, your digestion stops digesting. Okay? It's probably super fragile, even with non-milk products like fried foods and stuff. Yeah, so it's, it's, uh, your, your, your digestion's linked up to rejection. Lot of lot, not everyone, but a lot of people. Their digestion and the fear of rejection are locked into each other. Yeah, you want to hear something funny? My father was, my father is lactose intolerant. George, my father's lactose intolerant. He can't have milk, uh, but ice cream, no problem. Which <laughs> is milk? Yeah, it's like real milk ice cream. So I would say to my father once in a while, waiting for him to forget each time, just because it was so cute to watch him say it. 
I'd say to my father, I'm like, you can't have any dairy, but somehow you're like, you got two scoops of ice cream and you seem fine. And he's like, he looks at me with these sheepish, like baby eyes and looks at me and says, my mother made ice cream. (laughs) Meaning ice cream represents mother's love and he can digest it perfectly. So it was really an interesting case study, my father, with his lactose intolerance. (laughs) Anyway, but if you get the link of the rejection with the digestion, you'll see your digestion will start to relax because all all of our body feedback things like that, muscles, headaches, you know, digestive stuff, chest, heart, knees, back, all that stuff, all it takes is getting in touch with it and it tends to just let up. Because uh, what happens is the body's job is to mask pain. Your body's job is to mask pain. What kind of pain? Emotional pain. Sorry, did I not say that? Your body's job is to mask emotional pain. See, emotional pain is the most painful pain. So if your body can give you some kind of ailment, so it will, uh, if your body can hurt, so then you don't have to deal with the emotions so much. And this happens in my seminars. I always feel bad for these people. Is when it, we're opening up all the pain, so the bot their bodies. You know, let's say someone has a chronic back problem, and so in my seminars we're opening up all the pain for them. So what does their back say? Their back says, "Hey, my usual job of covering up your emotional pain is not working. Let's try this," and it just like really gets them. And so I get these people in my seminar. By day three, they're like crippled. And the people with digestive issues are like in and out of the bathroom. Like, I like I want to like just have them keep the bathroom door open so they can hear me speak during the seminar. You know, because it's better they just stay in there. Because the body's like going double time to try to mask the pain that we're finally getting okay with. But human beings are crazy when it comes to emotional pain. We're really crazy. Because tell me, have you ever heard of anyone dying from crying? Has anyone ever died from crying? No, no one's ever died from crying. But all the stuff that kills people, and the majority of things people die from, are masking emotional pain. So they're cho- it's, in a way, they're choosing what's killing them over their own heartache, over their own pain that they would feel if they would just let, let their emotions be expressed. If you just let your emotions be expressed. Now, obviously, you need a safe place for that. You've got to be in the right environment. You know, you, you, to have your emotions come out, you need... You need to be in the right circumstances and with the right kind of support around you and and the confidentiality that's necessary for that. You know, it's got to be, it's got to be right. But the, uh, but it's insane how afraid of our pain we are. Now your life's perfect. I just told you your life's perfect and you're exactly as sick as you are and you're exactly as poor as you are and you're exactly as healthy as you are and you're exactly as wealthy as you are right now. And that's what is, and that's okay. <coughs> I bless you in the future that you should be healthier. You can say amen. But that's not where you're at right now. And that's also okay right now. And we can all handle now. Now is okay. In fact, someone put a syringe in my mouth today and shot up my gums <laughs> for a filling. Well, that was unpleasant. But while it was going on, I felt my body tense up. I put on some meditation music, you know, 
in the background and and which the dentist and his assistant thought was pretty humorous and so we had the meditation music on but i just felt my body have i had to like go into stages of relaxation after the original pinprick into my gums i mean that's really awkward and uh but i i now I can deal with that. That pinprick in the moment, that's what I said to myself. Like, now I can handle that. And this is the source of anxiety, as we spoke about the other day. Is this is now, and that's everything you've got to deal with in the future. Can you always deal with now? Yes or no? How are you guys doing right now? Can you deal with now? Mm-hmm. You deal with now? Now? Can you deal with now, now, no? Yeah? What? You have nows that you can't deal with? I, I, I would argue that. I have a feeling you're projecting into the future a bit with your now. I, if we checked you out in that situation, I bet you there's some predictions going on. So now you can always handle. But what we do with our brains is we project into the future. This becomes like a drawbridge. And all of a sudden we're dealing with everything now. Can you deal with everything in your life now? No, nobody can deal with everything now. And so that's the, that's the cause of anxiety. In this moment, everything's really going pretty well. And, and you should know that even when things aren't going so well in the moment, which happens too, you know, people are going through all kinds of stuff in the moment. But right now, that it's ha- when it's happening to the person, they can just be there and, and ride ride the wave of what's happening there. You know, when, when we're riding, when we're surfing big waves, in the, you know, big waves, and you fall, you have to ragdoll your body. You have to let go of all muscles. You become like a ragdoll. Because when the wave finally lets you go, after you go through the washing machine, you still got, you're going to need strength to swim to the surface. And you've just gotten pulverized by a 20-foot wall of water, a 30-foot wall of water, you're going to need strength. And the way you do that is by totally surrendering to it. You don't fight whatsoever when you're in the middle of the mix of a wave. I would suggest that even for you people who might go swimming in the waves or you get smashed by a bigger wave, I suggest that you do not fight until the wave lets you go so that you have plenty of strength to get to safety afterwards. You don't want to tense up. And same thing with that, whatever we're going through. And I was had a, I had a needle in my gums today, and I relaxed my body with it inside my gums, and went through the trauma of that. You know, I originally I did get shocked, and then I slowly let it let it go. But here's the thing. Here's what I wanted to talk about today. Because there was someone in the class who asked me about a question that they've always had. And, but it's remained a question because it serves her to keep it as a question. And I'd like you all to think about in your life right now how much it serves you to have your complaints. So everyone right now, take a moment, think about a complaint in your life. One thing, I mean, we already heard George's. Anyone else want to give an example of a complaint they have right now? It's fine if you want to. Otherwise, let everyone think. I'm not going to start till everyone has got their complaint. So take a moment, figure out a complaint in your life. You can go. What? You can go. You got to go to her? Go. What? Go. 
we're we're here every day three ten to four. So you got your complaint? I'm not asking you for it. I'm just asking if you got it. You got yours? We'll get it. Unless you ain't got one. No, I don't think you have. Oh, nice. You're with me. Yeah. You got your complaint? We're going to start once everyone's got a complaint. No complaints? Not bad, not bad. I mean, maybe you should have one. Just kidding. <laughs> no, maybe the guy's on glue, you know. Like, no, everything's great. How, how, how are you? Got a complaint? Complaint? You, I know you got a complaint. Yeah. Okay. Now, everyone have your complaint in mind. Let me think if I got a complaint. I want to think of one I could share with you. I'll, let me first see if there's any complaint. Mm-hmm. I got a complaint. Yeah. I got a complaint. Okay. So we all have our complaint. And, um, and now our next step is why does it serve you? And I'll give you a little hint. Human beings can't stand a lack of self, uh, lack of identity. Can you slide over a bit? Yeah. Not you. Yes, you. Thank you. Um, human beings, just to give you a hint at why it serves you, is it may be that you need it as part of your identity. It may be like a part of your identity that you need. So... Whatever, that's just a little hint. That your complaint gives you somewhat of a self-knowledge of yourself. Okay, so I'm going to take a moment to figure out why it serves you. How it benefits us? Yeah. In some weird way. It'll be weird how it serves you. It's not necessarily an identity. Not necessarily an identity at all. Serve you in all kinds of ways. The only reason I gave the hint was for some people who are really stuck on why it serves them. It's probably helps them have an identity. You know, like it's like uh, homeless people. Not all the homeless people, but some homeless people. Like that poor me identity works for them. You know, that's that's good. That's why when you get them off the streets, they wind up back out there again because like they they lost their identity when they were given a place to live. Okay. Okay, we're good. Someone here want to get coached by me? Sure. Okay, I'll choose you just because we already heard from George. He raised his hand too. Okay, first name, please. Abigail. Abigail. Okay, what's your complaint? Um, I'm not sure I wasn't so lazy. Okay, she, she has a complaint that she wasn't so lazy. Okay, and um, I mean, that's going to be kind of an easy one, but why does it serve you to be so lazy? I get more sleep. Keep going. Because <laughs> um, it's like funny to laugh about with my friends. Keep like, going. Uh, You're still not at the real core benefit. There's a core benefit to being lazy. Because I was going to like sit and think. Let's not get to that. Let's get to the deeper, deeper stuff. Why does it benefit you to be lazy? It begins with an R. 
Well, actually, it begins with an I. Irresponsible. Yeah. Listen, responsibility is lame. Nobody likes it. It happens to make life meaningful and makes us a lot less apt to jump off a building because when you take on responsibility, when you take it on, you like you start to realize your bag of bones actually can do something and maybe even benefit another person or benefit yourself. Or like responsibility is a super positive thing, but it does come with responsibility. <laughs> responsibility comes with responsibility. Or to quote Cheech Marin of Cheech and Chong, responsibility is a heavy responsibility, man. So the. Now, um, anyway, but it means you have to get off your you-know-what and get busy with life. And as long as you're irresponsible, you're, you get to chill. <coughs> this is everyone's fight. But the problem with it is it leads to meaninglessness. And meaninglessness leads to... Meaninglessness leads to... Well, it leads to... It leads, it leads ultimately to uh, leads to millions of people dying. So it's better to take responsibility. No, because the 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 liberal mil, millennial style people are kind of wallowing in the meaninglessness of things, and so they they might sometime. God forbid it should happen, but in, throughout history we've noticed that when the left goes far enough to the left into their liberal meaninglessness world, the, um, they sometimes take a stab at, the, at what they call the hierarchy of meaning. And that's what Stalin did. 200 million people lost their lives over that one. And the atheist meaninglessness. So... I know none of you would think about the fact that you taking on responsibility is going to keep people from dying. But, but as a movement, it does keep people from dying. And, the response, and it all boils down in the end to personal responsibility, that if you, if you accept personal responsibility and you do your responsibilities, your life gets filled with meaning. Um, but meaningless, meaningfulness brings responsibility also, so they snowball. A meaningful life, like you know, however meaningful your life is as a Jewish woman, Abigail, causes you more obligation in Judaism, which means you now have more responsibility. And then as you do those responsibilities, your self-worth goes up a lot. And so, and so it, it, whatever, they just snowball. Meaningfulness and responsibility and Judaism being a very meaningful path, those, those snowballs. But being lazy is a great way to stay, keep things meaningless. And um, so, yeah, I see why that serves you. I'm just very confused. You're using the opposite of what I have to solve it. Like, yeah, like, I could take on obligations, but it's slowly hard for me to, like, stick to those obligations. And, like, you know what I mean? That's only because meaninglessness is... What I was really doing was getting down to what really serves you. We're not fixing anything yet. Oh, okay. What really this all boils down to is that, is that you kind of like meaninglessness. 
<laughs> now, why would meaninglessness serve anybody? It's easy. <laughs> it's easy. Yeah, there's no obligation. Well, you're already, I mean, you're not, how old are you, Abigail? 19. You're not 19. Right. You know, you know where meaninglessness goes. It's not easy there. Yeah. But she's 19. And today, 19-year-olds, 20-year-olds, 21-year-olds, 22-year-olds, like, meaninglessness is where it's at. (laughs) Not you. I'm just saying, for many of them. It's a whole movement of it that it's just like blur the lines, man. Blur it all up. You know, it's all. You're probably wondering why Jews are better. You know, besides whatever racist thoughts your parents gave you growing up about Gentiles, but um, but you're probably like kind of on your own in your own deeper heart thoughts is like why are Jews so much better? Like, what? It's a big deal about us here. Because you're in the you're in the you're right in the zone of the blur the lines. It's easy, it's easier. It's easier. Can't we all just get along and be the same? And, and the answer is though, in the end, is they start pointing. If they get in government, they start pointing guns at people who talk about hierarchy and and. Um, but in the meantime, meanwhile, you love hierarchy because if God forbid you had a heart problem. You know, you'd like to go to the top doctor. You don't want the, uh, you don't want the, uh, you know, the guy who got in med school because he was Asian, or he got in med school because he was, I don't know, he was African American or something like, you know, and, and that's who you got for your heart doctor for open heart surgery. Now he may be great, but that's not how he got into med school. You want the guy who got into med school because of his brains, that he has a super high IQ. And he knows how to handle himself in the middle of a complicated heart surgery. So it's the funny thing is, is that when things get really tough, suddenly we like hierarchies, no matter how liberal we are. And that's called that's called the hierarchy of competence. And hierarchy of competence is what makes things great. That's why you want to throw a lot of money. You want to throw a lot of money at people. If people get really good at things, you want to throw money at them. Don't get and you know the, the the people who live in the millennial blur, where let's all be one. Those are exactly the people who think everyone should be making the same amount of money. But you don't want that because you want the smartest people to choose ex- high-paying careers, so that when we need them for something important, we've got very high IQ people handling the important stuff like that. That's life and death stuff. You want them making more money. It should be a pleasure that they make more money for all of us because they're keeping the standards high on things that count. Life and death stuff. Plus many other things that are really important, like technology. You definitely want the top people doing the technology because, you know, as we go further into transportation, things are getting higher and higher tech. And that's our lives moving at 70 miles per hour or a couple hundred miles per hour in airplanes. You want a hierarchy of competence in all these fields. That's a good thing. Anyway, so you want to think how things serve you. So I, if I can be like brutally honest with myself, you know what I came up with? My complaint was, my complaint was that 
I don't have a social media staff. But those who have known me for a while, like, how long ago should I have had a social media staff? In 2000, if it's 2018 now, how, how long should I have had a, a social media staff at this point? 10 years. 2012 about? Yeah, I'm, I'm six years overdue, so now my job is to see how it serves me. Okay, guys, this is kind of a lame class today, I apologize. But uh, <laughs> please, God, it can only get better from here, you know. Okay, shalom, everyone. Just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.